way of announcements I have is the uh, Sound Doctrine Conference being put on by First Baptist Church of Fortuna up on Scenic Drive. Uh, there's a flyer uh, out on the table. The dates are April 29th and 30th, so you want to pick up a flyer to get all the details. And so if you're interested in that, the, the subject this year is the church, pillar and buttress of the truth. In a way of prayer, we want to uh, continue to pray for the Scriber family uh, as they uh, are dealing with the loss of Phil and, uh, uh, and still very close to it, Arlene, and uh, just uh, as they try to get everything in order now, it's a lot to do for, for them, and uh, just uh, uh, keep them in prayer. Uh, we will be doing the, a service for um, Phil uh, like we did for Arlene. They both said they didn't want any memorial services or funerals or anything like that. And so, uh, but Phil had agreed uh, with after Arlene passed that we could do that little fellowship time together uh, that we did for her. We'll do the same thing again. And we'll probably have the same kind of cake. Uh, just because that's Phil's favorite cake. And uh, so uh, the date is to be announced yet. Uh, it may be the Sunday after Easter, which would be the 22nd, but uh, we'll make sure that gets out. Um, and then uh, Kim Horning in the loss of, and her, their family and the loss of her husband, Gene. Gene was the uh, mechanic for years and years up at what was once Dave's Shell, and now it's, it's a Sequoia gas station uh, across from Shot, and a lot of people know Gene. He was a he was one of those great mechanics. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> and he could he didn't have to he could always go to the scope afterwards, but he could normally pick it up by just listening. And uh, so just uh, uh, keeping the the Horning family in prayer. Uh, appreciate you keeping uh, Karen in prayer. Uh, Karen Johnson, as she ran, wrestles with uh, cancer, and uh, if you'd keep, uh, well, I, I think it's a general context, there seems to be the Humboldt crud going around, and a lot of people having had it, uh, it has hit our home, uh, Kathy is down with it, and uh, I'm not doing particularly well as myself, so don't be offended if I don't come up and hug you or shake your hand today if I simply disappear shortly after the service. Uh, and uh, just uh, keeping our family in prayer. Keep Chris in prayer. Uh, he's had a couple of scans, and now they're trying to figure out uh, exactly what is going on. He's having uh, extreme pain in his stomach and chest and uh, just trying to put it together as to what uh, to do to minister to his needs. So he's had a couple of doctor's appointments this last week, and more of this next week is to figure things out. So appreciate your prayers. Uh, they are not anticipating at this point that his uh, cancer is back, but uh, they've got to check all the corners to make sure. So appreciate your prayers for him. So uh, any other prayer needs this morning? How is she doing?
she was improving. Okay. Uh, were she? Mesa, Arizona. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's a that's a praise to the Lord. She's. Uh, I actually, uh, I believe that is this this. I know it's this next week. She gets to have a, yeah. And and again, it's the, there's a multiple stage process that's going to be involved. So uh, keep her in prayer that she can keep her health. So she, you know, it's one of these things. You show up to one of these appointments and you've got a minor temperature, and they say, "Nope, can't come in." So uh, just the God would keep her healthy and 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 uh, well, and she could get this uh, appointment. Anything else? Okay, let's pray together. Father, we come to you, and uh, first off, just to acknowledge you. It is an awesome thing to know the God of all creation has invited us to before your, before His throne. Through you, Lord Jesus, uh, and in your name, to receive mercy and grace in our situations here on earth, and and uh, we look at these different things, and and we think of the scribers and the hornings, and and ask that you would be with each of each family, and the extended family as they uh, miss their loved ones, but uh, rejoicing when we know people are with you, Lord. And uh, so we, we, we just uh, come and ask, Lord, that You would bring peace and comfort as only You can. Lord, for Karen, we'd ask for a healing that You would deliver her from this cancer, just strengthen her body. For Annie, Lord, that You would be with her. It's, uh, it's good news to hear that she's improving. We ask that that improving would continue until she's got her full health back. And uh, just be with her and family as they minister to her. Be with Kay, Lord, keep her healthy as uh, she approaches this uh, opportunity to get her eye surgery and uh, scheduled and all of the different things uh, that are involved in that, that you would just keep her healthy and strong and, and uh, able to, to uh, get through this. And we don't hesitate to pray, Lord, for the miraculous in all of these situations. You would bring healing. Uh, we pray the same over uh, all who are are going through the, the Humboldt stuff right now. Uh, Lord, the, the, the cold, the, the, the sinuses, uh, the, the flu-like symptoms that are going around. We just ask, Lord, that You would break the cycle and bring healing. And uh, we include my family in that, Kathy, Chris, and Joel. And just uh, thank You, Lord, that we can come to You with confidence that Your grace and Your mercy cover us. We worship You and we praise You. We ask that You would be with us now as we open Your Word, that You would bring understanding and, and comfort. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we've got a message today that is one of those messages that if you go to lists of, of, of pastors, say online, that have preached on First uh, Peter, you, you sometimes find this particular part of the passage missing because it's a difficult one to preach on. And the reason for that is, is that it it's, doesn't have a lot of other scriptures to uh, help you understand it. 
And so you start right off with this disclaimer. This is not a scripture that you form doctrine on. It's, it, there's multiple understandings of it, and all of them tend to make sense. So what I'm going to share with you this morning is my understanding of it. It may be something you agree with or disagree with. And uh, it's one of those scriptures where we kind of end up walking away to agree to disagree if we aren't in harmony on it. So it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, and it's again found in verses 18 through uh, 22, which is where we were last week as well. And so uh, what I uh, would like to do is to start off with uh, the uh, idea that, that there's a statement in the Apostles' Creed. I don't know how familiar you are with the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it was uh, something that was came together as to understand the basic teachings of, of the Apostles, and it was prior to 300 B.C. that it started showing up in, something, in, in churches and stuff. And, and so it's become part of, it's not a doctrinal statement as much as it is a statement of just, I believe, this is what I believe. Let me share it with you. Uh, there's, and there's two versions of it today. There's one's called the traditional version. The other one is called the contemporary version, which just means that it has easier reading. I'm going to read the traditional version. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven uh, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church. Now, at this point, there was no Catholic Church. So you say, well, what's the Holy Catholic Church? It means the church as a whole. That's what the word Catholic actually means. And so it's, it's a word unto itself outside of any kind of a denomination. And uh, so I believe in the, in the holy, total Catholic, you know, the total church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Okay, that's the Apostles' Creed. Within it is a, a, a statement that is kind of overwhelming. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and He descended into hell. And the first question is, is that you might want to come up with is, wait a minute, on the cross He said it's finished. Did He have to descend into hell in addition to that? Because he'd already experienced the separation from God. He'd already experienced the spiritual death. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The words from the cross. And the question is, is that the word that's used here, uh, again, you're talking about pre-300 A.D. uh, And and so it, it, it actually is to be understood from the Greek, Hades or Sheol. And so, I figured in order to understand what we're going to talk about in Peter, we're going to have to understand something about Hades or Sheol uh, and, and what that is. Uh, they're not just words for hell. They're words for a place where the dead go. And so, uh, 
the best picture that I can give you is found in Luke 16, verses starting with the 19th verse. And you're familiar with this story. The rich man and Lazarus. Okay? And it says that, that you know, the, and I'm just going to paraphrase, Lazarus was, was, was a, a very ill and sick man and he was left outside the gate of the rich man's house. And when the rich man would finish, uh, the, and his family would finish eating, they'd scrape the leftovers together and bring it out to him and let him eat. Okay, and so that was a typical thing to do with people who were seriously ill. There was no doctors in that context of hospitals and, and places to take them. And so uh, that's how he survived. Well, it says that he died. And he was escorted by angels into the bosom of Abraham. In, in, into the, or some versions say into the side of Abraham. What it means is to where Abraham is. Okay? Now, think about that by itself. Where would Abraham be? Would he be in the bad side of Hades or the good side? He'd be in the good side. Okay? And so that's where he was escorted. Well, it turns out the rich man died too. And he was, well, he wasn't escorted by angels because that's, he didn't go to that side of, of Hades where Abraham was. He went to Hades also, but it was the other side. Now, let me explain to you how he puts it in his thinking. The rich man is laying uh, or, or standing, we don't know, on the other side uh, in Hades and he's saying, man, is it hot over here. And he's looking over across this big gulf. And he sees Abraham with, with, with Lazarus. And he says, send Lazarus over with some water for me, please. Still being the rich man. Still ordering people around, you know. And, and, and he, Abraham says, I'm sorry, there's a gulf between us that cannot be crossed from either direction. That's the picture of Hades and Sheol. Okay? And so, understand that this is where people went. It was a holding place waiting for what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ and paradise to, to be the, the place of, 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 the, of the believers. And, and so, uh, this, this picture is, uh, you know, we're... we're there's a good side and a bad side with a big gulf between it as to the holding place, Hades or Sheol. Now, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus, we know, went there because He said on the cross to the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with Me in paradise. And that's a broad expansion of what we need to see. Because paradise wasn't open yet. But he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So the question is, at the point of Jesus' death, and, and understand, there's no longer, any, any under, there's no longer a, a, a definitive reference to time once Jesus is dead and the things that he does. It, it's outside of, of our realm and our understanding. And so... Uh, it says basically, you know, that he he descended, he went to, into into Hades, and and he 
told this guy, the thief on the cross, that, that proclaimed him on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So I want to bring these things together through this story out of First Peter. And uh, so let's uh, read First Peter, uh, starting with verse 18. For Christ also suffered once. That's it. Didn't have to suffer again. There's no more penalty in the sense it has to be paid on sin for the believer because it's been taken care of once. And the, the word here implies once and for all. Okay? Uh, so Christ, Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Christ the righteous for us the unrighteous. That He might bring us, the unrighteous, to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He was made alive in the Spirit. Uh, and, and, and then it says, alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few things, uh, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. What, what, you, you know who he's talking about. He's talking about the time of Noah. Over a, a period of 120 years after God said there's going to be judgment on the earth, Noah built an ark. And it says, you know, we know that Noah preached to the unsaved, the non-believers, and they mocked him. They mocked the ark. They said, never has anything like this happened. You know, uh, the, you know the idea of, of, of rain coming down and water coming up and all this kind of stuff. No, it's not. You know, and, and they mocked him. So that the end result was at the, that at the point in time that the judgment begins and the rain falls or, and, and the water comes up, that, that there was only eight people on the ark. Noah and his family. And that was it. The rest of the world was wiped out. So that's the, the setting of this area. Of the, the, in a sense... It has to do with, with putting a time frame to these uh, spirits that are in prison did something before Noah and the ark. Now, you know, it, it's one, again, that you start to, to, to look at this and, and you say, who are these spirits in prison? And why are they there? It doesn't tell us here. But, Peter picking up this same theme again in 2 Peter, in, the, in fact, 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, he, he said, and by the way, in chapter 3, verse 20, uh, in chapter of, of 1 Peter, it says, they did not obey. They had done something disobedient, okay? And here in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, the word there is actually Tartus, Tartarus, a dark and gloomy place. It's, it's separate from Hades and Sheol. It's a specific place that these spirits have been put. 
Okay? If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to chains in gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, they are in this prison, in this gloomy place, Tartarus, until judgment. When is judgment? Chapter 20 of Revelation. When everything is separated and those that are not of God are thrown into the lake of fire forever. So, it's saying here, God did not spare these angels who sinned. And so, you start to put this together and again, you're trying to say who and why uh, they did not obey. What is it they did not obey? It says they, they... they, they, they had sinned again, but again, it, uh, what is it that they did? What is this sin? It's more than rebellion in heaven because all of the, the, the angels that are fallen did that. And yet we have demonic spirits on earth in the time of Jesus and in the time of the New Testament and to this day. And so, all of these demonic spirits, these demonic angels, these fallen angels, had not been cast down into this place. Only a group of them was cast permanently waiting for judgment. Who are they? What did they do? What is their sin? It's more than the rebellion. If you want, you get the idea of the rebellion, you, 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 you go to Isaiah 14 and it talks about uh, Satan being cast down and, and the rebellion in heaven. But what did they do? Well, we've got one more Scripture that we can go to to get a, an idea. And this is the, the, the book of, or the epistle of Jude. One chapter letter. And it's in verses 6 and 7 that I'll be looking The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, He, God, has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. He must be talking about the same ones. Same description here. Under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as, or they are likewise, or just as similar to, In other words, whatever it is they did is going to parallel what's coming next. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise, in the same way, indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. They serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. In other words, they're already already judged. Eternal fire is theirs. Now, the eternal fire is not coming until Revelation chapter 20, but it's, it's, it's theirs. They, they have no escape. Jude 7, 
just as in Sodom and Gomorrah, likewise in the same way indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire of their flesh. They left their normal abode or their normal dwelling. Thank you. And they serve as an example of what will be punished eternally. In other words, this kind of behavior is going to also receive eternal punishment to anybody that practices this kind of behavior. Now we get to the controversy. A number of scholars and, and pastors and preachers believe that this takes us back to, to understand this, Genesis chapter 6. And I include in this uh, Sam Storms, uh, John MacArthur, uh, go back to an older older uh, pastor, uh, W.A. Chriswall. Uh, they, they all hold to this same idea. And it's Genesis chapter 6 is an interesting statement because it precedes the flood and what was caused what caused it. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. The day shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth at those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old of the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart, man's heart, was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man when I have create, whom I have created from the face of the land. Man, animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In favor there is the word grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God says, I'm going to destroy everything. He goes on to describe how He's going to do it. He's going to do it by flood. Now, we understand that as soon as, as sin entered the garden, Adam and Eve, they were sent outside of the garden and sin had entered the world and it corrupted everything. It didn't just corrupt the, the humanity, it impacted everything. And so God is now going to flood the world and start over, basically. And He's going to do it with Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord and his family. They're the only ones who believed and that God could call and bring grace to. Well, you come up to the first question that should hit you is, who are these sons of God? I'll tell you what, this is an awkward one. Some of them think they were the sons of Seth. 
The reason why they say sons of God was because Seth was an honorable man. But uh, there's nowhere else in Scripture that it's used to talk about man. In fact, the only other place the term sons of God is used is in reference to angels. And and, uh, there's at least three examples used in Job. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Job chapter 2, verse 1. And chapter 38, verse 7. All of them referring to the sons of God being angels. So now you're looking at this. Is this saying that angels saw women and were attracted to them and bore children with them? I can't answer that question definitively. What I can say is that if you're uncomfortable with that, there is another considered argument by, again, John MacArthur, Sam Storms, and others uh, who basically say angels did what they do best. They possessed people. How many times do we see in the Scriptures people who are possessed by demonic spirits? Fallen angels. That's what a demonic spirit is. And so, in possessing these men, they entered into relationships with these women. To me, that makes it easy to understand. There's a, uh, what it says is that the angels didn't keep their proper abode. They didn't keep their proper dwelling place. Instead, they demonically did something that they weren't supposed to do. They got involved with, with demonically possessing men and then having relationships with women which produced offspring of evil. And you look at this and, and the condition of the world began to deteriorate as this was going on to the point where God says, I'm sorry I ever put it together this way. Yeah. And when he says it's sorry, that it doesn't mean that it was regret as much as it was, it grieves me. But God knew before the foundation of the world, things would run this course because he was creating a person who could decide to follow God or not to follow God. And, and, and he knew what the result of that was going to be. And that man would what? Desperately need a Savior. And he already planned, it says, before the foundation of earth, according to Ephesians, that he would come. And we see in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. And his purpose was to bring man to God. So the sons of gods, it says, came into the daughters of men and they bore children. Uh, this picture, uh, then you, you can say the, the Lord says this. He, he, he sees the wickedness of man. It's great. Uh, every thought, it says, in fact, every thought in his heart only was evil. Outside of Noah, every thought was evil. They, they couldn't bring about a thought that was uh, in any way considered nice, good. All they could think about was evil. And so it says, uh, you know, the wickedness of man is great. They thought about evil and it was continually. It was constant. 
And so God brings judgment to blot out man. Everything impaired by sin would be removed. But Noah found favor. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah and his family were saved. It's interesting. When we look at the, the, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm not going to go into great detail with this, other than the fact that uh, most of you have probably heard the stories uh, that when uh, you know the angels visited Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that uh, the, the the men of, of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to what have a relationship with them. They appeared as men; they weren't, but they appeared as men. And the reason was is that Sodom and Gomorrah was a sin, a place of iniquity. It was homosexuality at its worst. And, and it was a sick and evil place. And by the way, God did to them a preview of what happens to this sin. He destroyed it with fire. Ultimately, Revelation 20 says... The lake of fire, an eternal place of damnation. Noah and his family were saved. What I want to add one more picture to this, uh, one more verse to this, and and it's not related directly. Uh, this is uh, Colossians in uh, chapter two. Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes something very interesting. Uh, I'm going to go to verse 12 just to, to put it together. You having been buried with Christ in baptism, in whom you were also raised with Him. You, you understand baptism, I'm sure, but I, I, I'll take the moment just to, to, to give you a, a quick picture of it. Uh, Romans tells us that, that baptism is being buried with Christ and raised with Christ. Okay? The idea is, is a believer, the baptism doesn't save you, a believer is, is, is brought, comes into the water and is baptized by a, 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 a another believer in the in the in the church, and what it is is that this is the water they're put under the water, and now it's like a watery grave. They have been buried with Christ, and then it says they have been raised, brought up out of that with Christ, and what is it that they do at this point to walk in a newness of life? In other words. It's an identifying symbol. I am identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a believer. And by the way, that was a desperate thing to do in some in some places because you did it publicly, at least within the framework of a group of believers, and it, it, normally the message gets out. And if you're living in a place where there's persecution of Christians and you've gone as far as to be baptized and raised, uh, a lot of people who are, are enemies of Christ in, in foreign countries and foreign worlds where their religions uh, they see as the only one, uh, they turn around and, and uh, persecute these people, even to the point of death. 
And by the way, this is what Peter is addressing. He's concerned for these people. He wants them to know that no matter what happens, you've got hope. Even if you die, there's hope in Christ. In fact, Paul makes it clear, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You can't lose. The worst thing the world can do is take my life and I win. So, with that picture in mind, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it starts with having been buried with Him in baptism in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him, Jesus, from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, Jesus, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There is a, there is a consequence of sin. It demands death, separation from God, period. But Jesus on the cross took that on Himself. Again, when He said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? He was experiencing our judgment. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then hear this verse. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Rulers and authorities, when it's put in this context, are normally referring to the demonic. He has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. I want you to picture Jesus... On the, you know, and, and, and it's after his death on the cross. He is descending and, 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 and he goes into this place where the, the prisoners are kept permanently. The demonic spirits that have been cast out from their, their job they did be in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 6. And they're in hell waiting for, in Hades and Sheol, waiting for. Uh, eternal ju- the final judgment, which they already have received the judgment. They just haven't finished the final consequences, which is eternal, the lake of eternal fire, chapter 20 of Revelation. And so you have this, this picture of Jesus descending, and it says that He declared to them. And somebody, some people think, you know, that go as far, uh, some uh, cult religions go as far as to say that He gave them a second chance. That's not what this word declared means. This word declared means it's like a herald going through the town and declaring something has happened. You know, the old time idea of a herald bringing the news through the town. He went down and proclaimed to them, guess what? It's sealed. There is no hope for you. I have defeated I believe that's what he declared to them. And then we have in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about how he led captive a host of captives into heaven. I believe at that point he took the, the side of, 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 of Hades and Sheol, uh, the side of Hades and Sheol that were, were waiting for heaven. He took them out and delivered them to, to paradise along with the thief on the cross. And, and those captives that were held captive waiting for that day have been delivered. It's an interesting Scripture. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 4.
it's just uh, I I don't want to take it out of its context, so I'll start with verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear, uh, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, all who is over all and through all and in all. The grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host of captives and he gave he, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, and he might fill all things, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, and it goes on to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. It's a, it, again, it's not something you're going to turn around and build doctrine on, but I find it most fascinating. And I've done the best I can to tie this together with everything that I could find out about it. But don't hesitate to, to look it up your own and see if you come up with a different conclusion. And if you want to discuss it with me, I'll be, be glad to hear it. But the idea is, is that more than anything, through suffering, Jesus Christ was triumphant. That's the real core of this message. Through suffering, Jesus Christ was triumphant. And that through suffering even for Christians, and we all suffer, even if it's just a result of a failing body, that is suffering, okay? But we might suffer persecution. We might even suffer death. And like I said, Paul turns around and says, to, to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So even through death, I win. And so through suffering, we are still going to be triumphant in Christ. If we belong to Christ, we are a people, a holy priesthood, a nation of believers. We are a triumphant nation who belongs to Jesus Christ, and we win. In fact, we already have won. And I can't wait to get to heaven to actually get the full understanding of what I just shared with you. Because I believe that when we see face to face, we'll begin to understand these things. I've shared with you before the picture of the tapestry. What we're looking at is, is from this side of, of heaven, we're looking at the back of a, of, a, of a finely woven tapestry. And I think of the one that I, I think of that showed me this as, a, as an object lesson was even before I was a Christian the first time I saw it, and I was amazed at it. A, a, a silk tapestry, you know, you know how fine silk thread is, was hand-woven, okay? And it was the picture of, of, a, of a Chinese woman with one of those uh, bars with the, the baskets on either end walking through a field. And it was beautiful. But when I first saw it, all I saw was the backside of it because it was rolled up and then a wrap around it. You know, They were trying to protect the outside of it, the, the, the picture side of it. What they didn't know was that was the wrong way to roll it because the thread can get grabbed and pulled. <laughs> But all of the, the threads, all you could see on the back side was a mass of, of color and black, which was the background of this thing, and uh, all these little knots and, and threads hanging. 
That's just how they'd been tied off because they'd thread and then they'd run out and they'd tie it off and, and, and keep going. And, and it was just nothing but that. You couldn't, there was absolutely no picture whatsoever. It was just a, 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 this huge mess of tied off knots and colors of thread. And you turn it around and it's like a photograph. I believe that my glimpse of what I see is from the backside of what God has done. In other words, I can't see in full yet. There's a scripture that says, I will see in full, but I haven't seen in full yet. And when I do, I'll be amazed. And I think it's just like this picture. All I can see is my little myopic piece of, the, of life and all the tied off knots in my lifetime. And then I get a glimpse of the whole and say, man, what confusion. And then from heaven, we'll see the other side and we'll say, now I get it. Now I see. The scripture I just shared with you from Colossians chapter 2 says he disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's the the fallen angels that that, that have taken position within the the framework of the world and, and, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him or in Christ. God has triumphed. And it also... And in some manuscripts, actually, says in him and the cross, the cross. Every time we share in communion, we're we're sharing the triumph of Christ in our lives and in the future of yet to come. I gain, I win because of Christ. He went to the cross. He nailed my sins to the cross. It's been done. And everything evil has been put to shame. And God has blessed us with His mercy and His grace and covered us with His forgiveness. And so that we, we look at our, our, our sins and realize they're covered by Christ when we confess Him as our Savior and ask His forgiveness. And He folds it out to us in a lavish way, in abundance, above and beyond what is needed. So when we have share communion today, uh, we'll think about that. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He uh, and, and from the very beginning, where it says He came in the flesh, uh, it was from His birth. Uh, Philippians says He emptied Himself and became a man. From birth through His life, all that happened. He experienced everything in the flesh that a man can experience. Hunger, sleep, you know, tiredness, fatigue, pain, suffering. And on the cross, He nailed our sins to the cross so that we can say, I am saved in Jesus Christ for what He has done. We share the bread and then we share the cup. The shed blood is poured out life so that we can celebrate the joy of knowing we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. So let's share the cup and the bread together. Uh, we still have it up here. There's packets on this side if you prefer the packet. And then there's two cups together over here. One cup has the bread 
and, and the top cup has the juice, so you have to separate them. If they're a little tight, just twist them. Don't, if you pull them, it could be disastrous. So just twist them. And uh, then uh, we'll share together after the song. So feel free to come up and pick these up, and, and uh, then we'll have communion together. Take me past the outer court Through the holy place Past the brazen altar Lord, I want to see your face Pass me by the crowds of people and the priests who sing their praise. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, but it's only found in one place. Take me into the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Take me On the cross, as Jesus died, the earth shook. And in the Holy of Holies, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place where the priests daily did their sacrifices and, and offered the sacrifices and the prayers of the people, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies could only be entered once a year by the high priest and then only after he had made a sacrifice for his sin. And the holy, the the, tent, the curtain that separated it was torn in two. It was one solid curse, and it was a multiple layer thing. It was it wasn't something that you could just like a piece of material and shred, and it ripped from top to bottom. Every two inches it had a holder, and yet it ripped from top to bottom, and it was open. 
Why was it opened? So that through the blood of Christ, we can enter in to the Holy of Holies. And I, I always quote Tozier at this point. He didn't do this to, cause, to allow us to come and visit the Holy of Holies, but that we might dwell there. All of this was brought through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He came in the flesh. And so, at His last supper that He held with His disciples on the night that He was betrayed, uh, the Gospel of Luke records it this way. When the hour had come, He reclined at the table and the apostles with Him. And He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. Jesus continued, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And he asked that we would do this as often as we do in remembrance of him. We are instructed to do this together until we're with the Lord at the marriage feast and then he will share it once with us. What an awesome picture. What a thing we have to look forward to. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can come to Your Word even when we need to wrestle with it and, 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 and try to figure it out. And Lord, we, we ask that You would be with us and, and cause us to be students of Your Word and, and especially focusing on Your death, Your burial, and Your resurrection and all that You have done for us. And we ask that You would open our hearts and our minds to those around us, the needs around us, as we go back into the community that we live in, into our homes and our families, and be aware of of the needs around us that we might minister and have the opportunity to share the Gospel. We thank You for Your love, Your mercy, Your grace. We thank You for salvation. We thank You for eternal life. We thank You for the hope of heaven. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. Just a few more weary days and then I'll 
fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Oh, how glad and happy when we meet. I'll fly away. No more cold iron shackles on my feet. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. fly away when I die hallelujah by and by I'll fly away well rest of the day again I'm not going to stand at the door today uh, but uh, just have a, a good rest of the day and have a great week